Good morning, family. Isn't it wonderful when we gather on Sundays in the Lord's presence, and sometimes we have these times together where it's like we're floating on air, and we just sense the Lord's presence, and He carries us, and it's times, joyful times, and it's like light times. But then we have other times where it, we go deep, and we go into some perhaps even unfamiliar places, and, and, and it's a little bit of a working your way through and, and trying to discern and hear what the Lord is saying. Now, I wonder what you have discerned so far today. Which one of the two is our service here today? I think we're in a place where the Lord is taking us a little bit deeper and inviting us into some new places. So the message that I'm going to share this morning is definitely not a, a milk message, so can I ask you to get out your steak knife? Be careful, don't stab somebody else. Because we're going to do a bit of meat today. Now hopefully it's not tough steak, but nice, juicy, tender fillet. But it's going to be meat nonetheless. And we're going to take a look at being ready for opposition. And just by the nature of the title, you, you can understand that this is a little bit of the heavier food that we're going to do today. Now, I wonder how many of you have people in your lives that you would consider somebody that you are trying to make friends of or build a friendship with. So when you have an opportunity, you invite them towards some, you know, either to your home for a, a gathering that you have, or you may invite them out for a cup of coffee or, or for something. You're just trying to build a relationship with them, so you, you invite them, but they can never come. They always have a reason why they can't come and spend time with you. They're always busy with something else or tending to a, a different problem. And, but you, you keep inviting them. But perhaps after the fourth time that you've invited them and they, 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 they're not responding positively and they're not coming, and they, they, you start wondering, is this a reciprocal thing? I'm trying to build a friendship with this person, but are they really interested in building a friendship with me? And then you invite them another once or twice and they still don't want to come and spend time with you. Then, then you start thinking, is there something wrong with me? Do I, have a, do I have something that this person doesn't like? And then, you, and then you, you begin to think, well, they perhaps really don't want to be my friend. And then you may even think, well, perhaps I should have a conversation with them and, and say to them, listen, if you, don't want to have a, if you don't want to be my friend, tell me. Then that's fine. I'll leave you alone. I don't want to stalk you or bother you or you know, make you feel weird. But you know, I thought you know, we could be friends. And, but we don't do that. We just stop inviting the person. We just sort of say, perhaps... There's no friendship here. Now, Jesus tells parables in the Scripture that speaks of the same kind of thing. Remember the parable that he told of the master that had a function, big wedding celebration, and invited his friends, and he invited dignitaries, and he invited important people, and he said, come and celebrate with me, but they were all too busy. Then he said, well, go into the highways and the byways, into the streets, and invite the people, and perhaps they will come, and those people came. You see, our relationship with the Lord, our being part of His family is by invitation. But an invitation we have to accept. And the choice is ours. The choice remains with us. And the Lord is gracious. He keeps on inviting. But He will never force us to come to the table. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, there's place at the table for everybody. Everybody gets invited. There's no discrimination about who gets invited to sit at the table of the Lord, to be part of His family. But it's an invitation that goes out, and we have to accept the invitation and actually come and show up. And it's because of that understanding that Jesus starts talking to His disciples. And remember, we've been journeying this now, and, 
It's the Thursday evening, later, actually early Friday morning, he's actually going to get arrested, and it'll lead into his uh, being martyred and crucified, and, and the harsh treatment that he would get, and the rejection. And he's busy preparing the disciples for this time that's coming, for this this new phase that they're going into. And one of the things that he finds it very necessary to prepare them for is for opposition. He's talking to them and he's saying, you've got to be ready. Things are about to change. You are going to get the, 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 the wind from the front very soon. Things are going to change for you. Opposition is coming your way. So we read in John 15, we're going to be spending time in John 15 from verse 18 to 16, verse 4. And I'm just going to read through these scriptures and comment on them. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus says these words, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In the original language here, Jesus, when he speaks, is drawing a line of separation. He's saying there's two parts to the human experience or two groupings. The one he calls the world. In the Greek, he uses the word cosmos. The other he calls the ecclesia. In the Greek, we commonly translate that to mean the church. The called out ones is what the word ecclesia means. And and if you read the scripture, he says there's the world that hates me and there's the called out ones who are my own, who belong to me. And if we, as we read the scripture, not only here, but in the context of the whole scripture, he's, the the gospel communicates to us that there are these two groupings, there's not a third grouping, and you're in one or the other. You're either part of the cosmos, or you're part of the ecclesia. There's no other option. There's no Switzerland, There's no neutral ground. You're one or you're the other. The word cosmos is translated by Carson, D.A. Carson, in his commentary as the created moral, moral order in active rebellion against God. The creative moral order in active rebellion against God. So the world, the cosmos, is defined by Jesus as the spirit of this world that is there to oppose Him. Obviously present in people, but we must remember this is a a spirit first. It is the spirit of this world that comes to actively oppose Jesus. Now every one of us, at some stage or another, belonged to the cosmos. But then Jesus comes, and, and and, and God comes, and throughout the Scriptures... And then ultimately through Jesus, He comes and He extends an invitation to us to say, you can come out of the world. You can end your act of rebellion against me and become part of mine. I'm calling you out. Come out. And He he extends that invitation. Now we believe that God extends that invitation to every single person that has, is, and will ever breathe any breath on this planet. He extends that invitation. There's not one person that is not included in that invitation. In fact, the Spirit of God works very hard to bring that invitation through the Word, 
through the body of Christ to people, consistently saying to people, come, you can come out, you can come away, come in and be part of the family of God, be part of God's own. You can end your rebellion. And he extends that invitation all the time. But there's a line that runs between these two groupings. To move from the cosmos into the ecclesia, you have to pass through or pass over a bridge. If I can use that picture. And the passing through or passing over from cosmos into ecclesia, there's only one place that you can pass over. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can only pass from the cosmos, the current or the created moral order in active rebellion against God, to the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that belong to God and His family through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way. Now I know that's an uncomfortable truth. Our, our, our world struggles with that. How dare we as Christians say that it's only through Jesus? Can't it be that all roads lead to Rome? Can't it be that everybody can, you know, as long as they're sincere, will, will cross over? But as Christians, it is clear for us from the Scripture that Jesus said, you can only come to the Father through me. It is only by the blood of Christ that we get translated into the called out ones. The only way you can accept the invitation of God, that invitation goes out to every person. You can come, be part of my family. The only way you can accept that invitation is to accept the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ that was poured out. So how does, what does that look like? How does that work? So through the working of the Spirit, and we'll, we'll still talk about that in future times, but through the working of the Spirit, he makes, us to, he makes us to understand and to see, to recognize that I am part of those of the world. He makes me see that I'm actually in that position where I'm in active rebellion against God. One of the words we use to describe that active rebellion against God is sin. I recognize my sinful condition. I recognize that I, my sin is committed against a very personal God that takes my sin very personally. You see, when God created us as human beings, He created us as objects of His love to give us everything that He has, to share with us all His goodness, to, to lavish upon us Himself. But we turned away from Him in our rebellion. And we said, Lord, it's okay. We, we will, we're better off on our own. We don't need your love. But he didn't stop. He kept on pursuing us, loving us, saying, I want you to know that I love you. And at some point in my life, I, I come to the realization that I'm pushing him away, that I'm holding him away from me. I'm actively rebelling against him. Now, that act of rebellion, let's not get confused and think it always looks like rebellion. It looks angry. It looks oppositional. That act of rebellion sometimes looks very religious. 
Because sometimes what we do to keep God at bay, to keep Him just at arm's length from us, we cover ourselves with a, a sense of righteousness and religiosity and so that we have an outer layer and a veneer that makes us look like we are not in rebellion against God, just so that we appease Him and just so that we keep Him comfortable and everybody else comfortable so that we can actually internally continue with whatever we want to do. Therefore, we must not confuse what that word rebellion means. But I have to recognize it in myself. And that happens through the power of the Spirit. And the Scripture calls it to confess, to name it for what it really is. When I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old, that happened in my life. As a young boy, that realization came to me. Somebody shared with me, prayed with me. That realization came upon me that I am a sinner. Now you may ask, what was I so guilty of at the age of eight or nine that I could be worthy of calling myself a sinner? Probably the worst things I did up until that time was I would steal cookies and lie to my parents about it. Or I would blame my brother for the things that I broke. And you can say, well, that's just child. But can I recognize that that is me moving away from God? That is actually the beginnings of this life of wanting to do things my way and keeping God away from me. You see, the spirit of this world, and let's not, let's not get confused and think it's about people. It's about the spirit of this age. There's a spirit in this world that actively opposes God. Think about Jesus. Here comes the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He leaves heaven, and he comes and dwells among us, and he does only good for us. He heals people. He, he feeds people. He raises people from the dead. He talks about love he, does, he sacrifices. He does only good. There was no evil found in him. He never did anything to anybody that you could say was unloving. He was a loving person, and yet we killed him. Not just killed him, we tortured him. We put him on a cross. We nailed him to a cross. We actively opposed him that was good. That's the spirit of this world. And I had to recognize that I have that spirit within me. And then I come to the cross and I say, Lord Jesus, I confess my active rebellion against you. I confess, Lord, that I actually just want to live life for myself. I want to have life the way I want to have it. I want to have good in my life that I define as good. Forgive me, Lord. And when I come in my knees and in humility to him, and I recognize that the blood of Jesus washes me. He cleanses my heart. He justifies me in a moment. In that moment of repentance when I come to the Lord Jesus and I say, Lord, I see my sin for what it is. And I ask that you will give me the ability to live not for myself but for you. I want to love you, Lord. I don't want to be rebellious. I want to submit. And when I use the word submit, I mean as a loving action. I want to love you by giving you precedence in my life. The moment I do that, the blood of Jesus washes me clean. And it's at that moment when that happens, when I'm taken out of the spirit of this world, and I'm given a new spirit, which is the spirit of God. The scripture talks about, I was born into this world, and became part of the cosmos, but by being born again, 
I'm born in the Spirit, and I become part of His family. And that invitation, that is open to every person, every single person that has ever, that is living, and will ever live. That invitation is open to us. Jesus did everything He could to make sure that every one of us has that option available to us. But Jesus, here talking to His disciples, says, You must recognize that even though I came and I did such good, the world hates me. The spirit of this world hates me. Why does it hate Jesus if He's so good? I mean, even people in the world will talk about Jesus and that are non-Christian people and talk about how good He was and a good teacher and He had good things to tell us and if we could listen to Him. Nobody says Jesus was bad. But yet they, the spirit of this world hates Him. Why? Because He represents something else. Jesus carries on and He talks in John 15, 20. He says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You see, this is the key. Remember, Jesus didn't come in his own right. It wasn't ultimately whether you accepted Jesus or not. Jesus came to represent the Father. Didn't Jesus say, I do nothing unless I see the Father do it? He who comes to me, comes to the Father. He who rejects me, rejects the Father. You see, Jesus came to glorify the Father. It was about the Father. It was about making the Father known. The problem was the spirit of this world doesn't recognize the Father because it doesn't want to recognize the Father. The spirit of this world comes from from the master of this world, which is Satan, which is in active opposition to destroy the image of God, to destroy who God is, that hates God. That hates everything God stands for. So Jesus comes to lift up the name of the Father, to make the Father known, to shine the spotlight on the Father. Remember the word glory means to make Him known, to make the Father known. So so when when the enemy comes against Jesus, he's trying to destroy Jesus' ability to glorify the Father. Remember I've said it a couple of times now. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy What is he trying to destroy in your life? Your ability to glorify the Father. So Jesus says, if the world is opposing me because I glorify the Father, as you glorify the Father, the world will oppose you also. Don't take it personal. Jesus says it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they don't like the Father. Jesus didn't even take it personal. Because it was about the Father. He says, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. Because you represent me that represent the Father. But there will be people that will reject you. They will not accept this. So therefore you must understand, you and I, Jesus is saying to us, that we live in this world, but we're not of this world. We are here entrenched, embedded in this world for a purpose and a plan. But we are not of this world. And this world will not be ambivalent towards us. It will not just say, oh, well, there goes those Christians again. Let's just give them space. No, the spirit of this world will actively try to destroy that which we stand for. Because it glorifies the Father, the creator of this world. It lifts up the creator of this world and diminishes the current master 
of the world. Therefore, he actively, through the spirit of this world, the cosmos, opposes those that lift up the spirit of Christ. Now, I, I want to be quick to hasten, and I, I, I need you to not just hear my words, but feel my heart in this and the heart of the Scripture in this. I have no pride in the fact that I'm of the Ecclesia, the called out ones. I can no, lay no claim to it. It's nothing of my good. It, it's completely by the grace of God. He took all the initiative to say, I don't want you to be without me. He pursued me. He came. He did everything. He died on a cross. He did all the hard work just to make it difficult for me not to choose him. So even the little thing that I did of faith in saying, Lord, I choose you, even that I can't hold up as pride because that's nothing compared to what he did. And even me being able to make that choice is by his grace. So we as Christians cannot walk around in this world with a chip on our shoulders thinking that we're better than anybody else, looking down on other people, thinking that we're separate from other people. There's this clear line of separation that we need to understand, but it helps us when we deal with the opposition of this world. It is not so that we keep the world away from us. Because this is our challenge, and, and I think Dan's poem speaks into this. This world hates us. But we cannot respond with hatred. We respond with love. This world may reject us, but we accept the people of this world. We don't accept the spirit of the world, but we accept the people of the world. And they are the agents of the spirit of this world. There's not a single person that we cannot show love to in our lives. We're not asked to love, to act in the opposite spirit, to forgive, to be kind, to be gentle. And this is our challenge. So Jesus says, you must expect opposition so that you cannot take it personally, but actually love in return. Because it's about my Father. It's not about you. It's about the Father. But as Christians, we've got to be secure in this and knowing that God loves people. He loves people. He He continues to do whatever he can for people to come to him. You see, what happened in, in this event that Jesus was preparing for them, remember that night he was going to get arrested, beaten, put on the cross the next day, rejected by the crowds, hung on a cross outside of Jerusalem on, in Golgotha. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that area in Golgotha where in Jerusalem was one of the busiest sections of Jerusalem. It was like a modern-day bus stop. It was a place where lots of people went through. The Romans didn't hang or crucify their, their criminals in quiet spaces. They hung them in public spaces because they wanted everybody to look at them and to see them as an example so that they would keep you in line. So Jesus's the whole process, the Via Dolorosa, everything of his crucifixion was very public. In fact, you remember later when the, when the disciples were speaking, they said, how is it that you do not know what happened in Jerusalem? Everybody in Jerusalem knew what was going on. They knew about Jesus. They knew about the rabbi. Remember, his entrance was this big public event. They knew about this. There was this public trial where they had to choose you know, who they're going to choose to get set free. It was, it was a very public event. Why was it so public? You see, it forced everybody that day in Jerusalem to look at Jesus. 
Remember the, the skies darkened, the veil tore, the dead walked the streets. I mean, this was not an event that you could have missed. So literally what it did is if you were living in Jerusalem at the time, suddenly that day a big noise happened physically and in sound. And it forced every person for a moment to look at Jesus. Every person in Jerusalem that day, and through the Scripture and through the recording of the Scripture, every person that ever lives is forced to look at Jesus, to see Him, to see God on a cross. You couldn't miss it. And the question was, were you going to turn and look and see Jesus on the cross? And then when you see him, what are you going to do about it? You see, most people in Jerusalem heard the noise, turned their heads, they couldn't help it, looked at Jesus, had a comment to make about it, said something about it, and then looked back and just carried on with life. They weren't really seeing a few turned, looked at Jesus, and said, nothing else compares to what I've just seen. My whole life must come to a standstill. From this moment on, I live to pursue that man on that cross. They didn't just turn back and carry on with life. They stopped life to attend to the cross. And throughout creation, that's what God did. He loudly stands up and says, look at me, and make a decision. And like I said, Jesus came to put the best of the Father on display, so that it would be stupid to not choose the Father. If you carry on reading, this is exactly what Jesus says in verse 22 to 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Not saying they weren't guilty of sin because up until Jesus came. But the fact that they saw him and still didn't choose him makes them guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. I have not done among them the works no one else did. They would not be guilty of sin. If I have not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. And it is they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And that's the problem of the spirit of this world. It comprehends God. It sees God. It sees the love of God. It sees the beauty of God. It sees the majesty of God. But still says, I want to do it my way. I'm not going to give in to that. I want to live for myself. And that's where Jesus rightfully can stand up and say, you reject me. He didn't quietly slip in and quietly slip out. He made a noise. We looked, but we chose not to surrender. Only a few did. And those few became the ecclesia, the called out ones. And that's the continuing story of the human condition. They do not know the Father. Therefore, they do not recognize the Son. 
Not because they can't, but because they don't want to. There is no one as blind as the one who does not want to see. You and I must remember that this is the spirit we're contending with in this world. We're not just contending with a spirit that says, if I just could know the truth, I will choose it. We're contending with a spirit that says, even though I know the truth, I will not choose it. Because it requires of me to wholesale go against what the spirit of this world is about. The spirit of this world is pride. I want to live for me. The spirit of Christ is I live for my Father. To accept the blood of Christ is to step into that. It's not about me, it's about Him. And the spirit of this world says I will not do that. And we see it manifest. No matter how clear God communicates, we find a reason to disqualify Him. To say no, it's not true. And that's the struggle we have in this world. That's the stuff we come up against. That's why Jesus says in John 15, 26, He says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me, and you also must, for you have been with me from the beginning. In a sense, what Jesus is saying to them is, is and, and through what He also later says, He's saying to them, listen, you must understand, at this point, all the arrows are pointed at me. They're rejecting me. you sort of hiding behind me. But I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to leave. The Spirit of God's going to come. He's going to work in you. And as you mature and as you grow in your faith and as you are being discipled, the, the Spirit of God will become clear that you are not of the Spirit of this world, but that you're the Spirit. And then they will turn the arrows on you. Right now, according to Campus Crusade statistics, 200 million Christians across the world are in a space where they could be persecuted any moment. 60% of them are children for the fact that they are Christian. From the time that Jesus lived till today, 43 million Christians have been killed for their faith. Because the spirit of this world hates the spirit that glorifies the Father. And you and I live in that. And we do not live separate from it, like I said earlier. You see, as a Christian, I can't go and draw away from the world and the spirit of this world and the people of this world and say, I'm going to live on my own. Listen, guys, can we just buy a piece of ground and build a big wall and some houses and we're just going to hang on until Jesus comes and not be contaminated by the spirit of the world? No internet, no newspapers, no television. We're just going to hang in there. No, Jesus said, I send you as sheep among the wolves. Not sheep because we are powerless and weak. We're very powerful and very strong. But in the sense of what he's trying to communicate, I'm sending you right back into the ones that wants to devour you. Now, these are not nice things you may say to me, Pastor, this is really not what I came to church for, is to hear these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, we have to also talk the truth sometimes. In John 16, the last couple of verses, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. You see, our biggest challenge as believers is not persecution, opposition, it's that we will fall away, that we will give up on God, and that we will miss out on our, on our life and, and life with Him. They will put you out of the synagogue. They will reject you, even the places where you were welcome, because remember, you've been called out now. You're no longer part here. You're called out. They will kick you out. They will ostracize you. 
In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Even people, religious people, will kill you as worship to God, whether they think that God is Allah, whether they think that, that, that God is Marx, whoever they think that God is, they will kill you or the philosophies or the thoughts that they believe in. They will kill you thinking they're doing the right thing. And we've seen this throughout history. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, when you will remember that I warned you about them, I do not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus said that part of, I was with you, they, 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 I kept them focused on me, but now I'm leaving, they're going to focus on you. And you and I as believers must have this understanding that we live with some uncomfortable truths in this world that the spirit of this world will not accept. Will you give me a bit of grace here this morning and Hear my heart. I believe there's a real heaven and a real hell. I know that's not a very, that's not a very popular thing to say, even in church. The Scripture uses language to describe heaven to us. It uses words like streets of gold and pearly gates. Now, I don't know if there are real streets of gold and real pearly gates in heaven. I think what the Scripture is trying to do is to try and capture our imagination with language that we can imagine the best thing possible. That's what heaven is. And, but you know what makes heaven the best thing possible? It's not the streets of gold or the pearly gates. It's the fact that God is there. That's what makes it the best place possible. It's, it's that we will be with God with an unfiltered in His presence. Him with us, us with Him, free access to one another, living in the complete fullness of how He wanted life to be lived. That's heaven. Now, at the same time, the Bible uses language to describe the opposite to us. It uses language like fire and worms and, 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 and uh, uh, pain and suffering. Now, I don't know what hell looks like. But if heaven is heaven because that's where God is, hell is hell because that's where God is not. Hell is the Scripture trying to describe to us the place, the worst thing you can imagine because God is completely, absolutely absent from that place. Now I know we struggle in our culture, in our day, we struggle with this idea. How can a God of love create a place like hell? Uh, it's big thoughts, but let me say this. First of all, hell does not exist for people in the sense that God wants to send anybody there. Do you know that God never wants to send anybody into a place like that? If you don't believe me, just look at the cross. He did everything He could. He pulled out all the stops to stop anybody from going there. But as much as there is a real cosmos and a real ecclesia, that leads to something for eternity. If we choose, we don't want God in this life, then we choose we don't want Him for eternity. And that's unfortunately the way it is. Now, I don't think as Christians we should ever find any pleasure in thinking that somebody, no matter how heinous their sin was, will go to hell. I don't think these words should ever pass over a Christian's lips of, may you go to hell. Or to hell. I don't think we should ever say that. Because if we say that, I don't think we fully understand the grace that I have received. And I don't understand how much I was forgiven. 
I don't think we must ever have that attitude. I think we must work with God who did everything he could in his, as, to keep on stopping people from going there. I think that's our job. That's what we focus on. Through our love, through our kindness, and as Pam spoke earlier about how it's hard to love in this world. But that's what we're called to do. We find no, no pleasure in judgment, but we know it is there. It is real. Can I tell you this world judge? Don't be- believe the baloney that this world doesn't judge. It judges. It just uses really funny things to judge with. Arbitrary things. I mean, we live in a world that pumps pornography down the throats of our population and then wants to turn around and judge people because they're objectifying people of the opposite sex. Sort of, I don't understand that. It's the spirit of rebellion. I want to do what I want to do, but I don't want to have the consequences of it. But Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, he told us very loudly that your choices have consequences. But I've come to absorb and to take those consequences so that you don't have to suffer the consequences, but you have to believe in me. You have to choose me. It is our joy, it is our privilege to live for Jesus. To live with the message of the good news in this day. To say to people, God loves you. And that's not just a sentiment. That is a love. It's a real love. It is a son that chose to go to the cross. So that you and I do not have to go through that. So that you and I will never feel separation from God. Do you remember that moment when Jesus was on the cross? And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced in that moment what He wants us to never experience, separation from God. And He made it possible that we don't have to. But it does require this one little thing, a bending of the knee. It does require that we go against the spirit of the world and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You see, you and I must recognize that that thing continues in us. I just want to live for myself. It's me. It's about me. And every day I take up my cross. Didn't Jesus say that daily, take up your cross? Every day I take up my cross and I say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. I made that decision and that called me out of the world. But every day I choose to live consistently with that. And that's what discipleship is about, is daily being taken further into the surrendered life that becomes more and more like Jesus. So that this world would be arrested, that it would have something shouting very loud to say, look, God loves you. And that's you and me. That like they looked at Jesus, they will look at the church. Not because we're perfect, but because we have not the spirit of this world. That's why Jesus said, you either love the world and you hate me or you hate the world and you love me. You cannot be in the middle. If you are lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth because then you are diluting what I've done and what I stand for, which is completely opposite to what this world is. It needs to stand out. It needs to make a noise. It needs to blind people's eyes with the brightness of its light. It needs to be so other. I don't have that strength. I don't have that ability. But the Spirit of God 
Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to pray for each other to be filled with the Spirit so that we can give glory to the name of the Father. So I want to end with this. I've said some hard things this morning. But I trust that you can hear it through the heart of a father that loves. Not my heart, the father's heart that loves. That will sometimes stand up and shout because he loves us. It says, be ready. Don't get caught in the middle here. Be ready. Don't get fooled. Just because we live in a world that so proclaims that everything goes, even though they can't live like that. I did a fun experiment this week when, when I was preparing this. I thought, I'm just going to listen on the radio when I'm driving for the word hell. And within the first half an hour of climbing into my car after I made that decision, I heard the word hell twice. The first one was this quote. I don't know if you saw this quote in the week by a man by the name of Donald Tusk, who's the president of the European Council. He said this, What that special place in hell looks like for those who promoted Brexit without even a sketch of a plan how to carry it out safely. Now, I don't think he's a Christian man. But he needs some place in his mind where he can say, the worst kind of evil belongs there. That's hell. And sorry for saying this, but later I heard a talk about menopause. And they asked this famous actress lady, they asked her, what is menopause? And she said, it's hell. Even in the world, they draw lines and they say things are not good. It is evil. We just do it on the basis of the word, not on the basis of what we prefer and don't prefer. That's part of our submission. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to give an opportunity this morning. If you are in that place where you want to say, I want to come out of the world. I want to recognize today that, that my sin is active rebellion against God. And I don't want to live in that anymore. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And like Jesus, I want to live for the Father. Then this morning, I want to give you an opportunity that we can pray with you. And we can help you and give you some literature and introduce you to that process and how Jesus can do that in our lives. So that you could be translated and transformed and be justified in a moment as the blood of Jesus washes you. So can we close our eyes and let's just pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray that this truth, this double-edged sword, the word that is alive and active, that is a double-edged sword that comes to divide, to cut, to reveal, to make known, to separate lies from truth, to deal with confusion. I pray, Lord, that today in this place your Spirit will come and help us, Lord, to see clearly our station, our place, our condition, the condition of our hearts, Lord. Lord, that if our heart is still trapped in the spirit of this world, I pray today, Lord, that you would give people the grace to step over through the blood of Jesus, to be washed by the blood of Jesus. So right now, I pray for that spirit of clarity, that spirit of conviction in Jesus' name. Come upon people. If right now you just feel God's presence on your life and you're saying, I want to be washed by the blood of Jesus, I do not want to carry on, then I'm going to invite you, just come to the front. Bring your belongings with you, take, up, take your things, and just come to the front. 
We're just going to give you a moment. While we're waiting for them, please come to the front. I want to pray for the rest of us. Because Jesus spoke these things so that we will not fall away. But then as the opposition comes, and we're living in a time where the opposition is growing of the spirit of this world against the spirit of Christ. You may feel it just by people joking about you, people excluding you, people making fun about, about you, or people actively being unkind to you. However, it's the spirit of opposition. But I want to pray for us that we will stand so that Jesus can be shown for who He really is. And that no one will have an excuse but to say, I saw the love of God. Can we pray for that? So can I ask you, just raise your hands and to say, Lord, I need you. When the opposition comes, I want to stand. Even in the opposition I'm feeling right now, I want to stand. Holy Spirit, I pray for your grace to be upon us right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not be one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, but that our lives will be lived for you, growing with passion and desire for you and to obey you, Lord. We don't get it right all the time, but we pray that you would help us, Lord. And Lord, as we represent you more and more in this world, even as a church, I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength. That as the opposition, we feel that we would not succumb, that we would not give up, but that we would stand in you. Hold on, Lord. Be strengthened by you. Come, Holy Spirit. Send us, Lord, to love this world whether it's here in our city or whether it's to an unreached people group far across the planet, send us, Lord, that we will go and love those that you loved first. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask that we just sing this song, and as we sing this song, I'm, I want to just give opportunity, first of all, for people that want to come forward for prayer. So I'm going to ask you, just let's sing the song. Give it a minute or so before you start leaving. Just to give people opportunity to come to the front. Otherwise, we push against them. And I think it just tells them that, you know, us praying for them is not that important. So can we do that? I know we've gone over time, but that's okay. So thanks, Sean. Those of you that want to come forward for prayer, just come at this time. Our pastors will be here to wait for you and pray with you.